Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and on this episode, Elizabeth, Adam Hawkins, and I have a conversation with SBC Pastor Dwight McKissick about the Southern Baptist Convention and the issues of race. We're going to look at some of his personal experience and a lot of the latest controversy around critical race theory and uh, what that's meant for the denomination. So the Southern Baptist Convention, also known as the SBC, has a long history with race. In fact, many don't know that the denomination really started out because of its support for slavery. And so the SBC has had to wrestle with that for its entire existence. What do we do with the fact that our origins are in uh, slavery? The name Southern actually is related to that idea. So it's tried to address that dark history, and the SBC is in many ways still dealing with that today. And there's a lot of people that are wondering if the SBC is doing enough when it comes to issues of racial justice and harmony, if they're saying enough or taking enough action in that, uh, in the endeavor to try to not just overcome their past, but be part of uh, healing and reconciling for the future. And there's many black pastors inside and outside the SBC that are feeling that tension uh, in particular. And that's why we wanted to do a two-episode arc interviewing two men about their views and experiences and uh, both within the SBC and what they're going to do about uh, remaining or leaving the Southern Baptist Convention. Our first conversation is with Dwight McKissick, and he's the senior pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Arlington, Texas, and a longtime member of the Southern Baptist Convention. And as of now, Dwight has elected to keep his church as part of the SBC, but he certainly makes his concerns known. So uh, I think this is going to benefit you a lot, even if you're not part of the SBC. So here is our interview with Dwight McKissick, pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church. Pastor McKissick, what if somebody has never uh, interacted with you before, doesn't go to your church, hasn't read the things you've written, what do they need to know about Pastor McKissick? (laughs) Well, I'm um, 64 years old, born and raised in Arkansas, left there at 27 years of age after having finished college and uh, pastored a church there for six years, the St. Peter's Rock Baptist Church. And it's called a Planet Church in Arlington, where I've been for the past 37 years uh, as lead uh, pastor. And um, I could be a man of conviction. Uh, Some would say courage. And others would say I've lost some of my marbles. (laughs) (laughs) that's about it (laughs) that is a great byline that is awesome a man of courage conviction and some would say i've lost some of my marbles i love it that's so great well on today's episode man whether you're baptist or not there's a very interesting conversation that should have been happening for a long time and is certainly happening right now around uh, race and the SBC. Before we jump into some questions we've got for you, Pastor, would you mind telling us a little bit about your church and maybe your personal history with the Southern Baptist Convention? Our church uh, celebrated her 37th anniversary this past October. We started with my wife and four children in my garage in South Arlington in October 1983. And the Lord just got a hold of it and gave us favor with people 
with uh, other churches and through the Southern Baptist Network, Karen Baptist Association, Baptist Journal Convention of Texas, and the Tate Springs Baptist Church in South Arlington. They sponsored us, which simply means they provided uh, funds for three years for us to handle our budget and make sure I had something to eat, a salary, and make sure we had Sunday school books and uh, outreach uh, literature, uh, and even um, moved from the garage to the chapel at Tate Springs Church. I could seat about 90 people, which was a lot more than we could. We had coming, and um, and we grew in that chapel to about 60, 70 people. Uh, then we uh, purchased a small church building uh, in the Dalworthian area of Arlington that could seat about uh, 300 people for $330,000 in about 1984. Interest rates at that time with good credit was 13.5, which meant our building payment was $4,285 a month. Now, that's a house <laughs> payment for some people, but for us, that was a huge undertaking. Oh, yeah. And the uh, Tate Springs Church Baptist Convention Association, they underwrote half of that. Our congregation had to pay the other half, and it was a challenge uh, at time, but the church kept growing numerically, spiritually. Uh, programmatically, eventually with staffing. And uh, we were at that location for 14 uh, years. Then we purchased uh, land, 39, almost 40 acres of land on Matlock, South Arlington. And we've uh, constructed two facilities, put up two portable facilities since then. And God's grace, his hand has been upon us. Uh, uh, That was a season when our church was even carried a lot more people than we have in the last several uh, years. But by God's grace, we still have a a vibrant, healthy, uh, robust congregation. And we give God praise for what he has done across these 37 years to reach um, the uh, local community and the larger region and even uh, touching parts of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's incredible. Thank you Amen. so much for your ministry and for sharing some of that story with us. And man, I'll, I'll kick us off with a question to get us on topic and Adam and Elizabeth hop in here too. But uh, we sure. wanted to talk to you and obviously you've had some uh, some public statements that have been helpful to some. And like you said, others may have thought you lost your marbles, but <laughs> just to catch up, those people who haven't been part of the conversation uh, about the SBC. You've been in the SBC, honestly, longer than I've been in the Baptist world. You've been in it uh, longer than almost I've been alive. You've been in it. So could you catch us up a little bit on uh, the Was history? Was that a nice way of calling me old? No. <laughs> that was a, it was an honorific, uh, sir. It was a way of honoring your experience and saying, oh, I'm I appreciate it. Me as a novice, I have no idea really what I'm talking about when it comes to this because I don't have the context you have. And for those who are brand new to this conversation who are going to listen today, obviously we don't have time to give them the whole background, but shortly, would you just tell us a little bit of uh, how you've seen the SBC as it relates to race? How has that uh, been your experience over the year as far as the denomination goes and having these kind of conversations around this topic? Very good question. And Born in 1956, came to know Christ in 1965 at the St. Paul Baptist Church in Pablo Arkansas, which was a national Baptist church, born in a Baptist pastor's home. My daddy pastored what they called in a two-Sunday church, met the first and third Sunday, Mount Calvary Baptist Church, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Uh, both churches, though, had a very, they had a cooperative working relationship 
with the Southern Baptist in the state of Arkansas, a guy named uh, Dr. Robert Ferguson then was the director of the what they call National Baptist Ministries. Since that time, since the conservative researchers, they have done away with all of those intentional programs of building relationships with Black Baptists, National Baptists. They are no longer funded in a part of state conventions uh, work, but it was very uh, strong in reaching out uh, to build cross-cultural interracial relationships and having joint services and statewide meetings at that time. So honestly, I didn't know a whole lot about the history of slavery, segregation, Jim Crow, uh, Confederate Association. You know, you're a nine-year-old kid. You just see we're meeting with white people, having a church once or twice a year. You go to these state meetings and and they would come visit our churches. And it seemed like there was a lot of love and respect given toward them. So, and my older brothers and sisters, I'm youngest of nine, uh, they went to different colleges, but uh, mainly they had Baptist, what they called them Baptist Student Union. I think they call them now Baptist Ministry Centers or something else. But they were mainly funded and administrated by uh, Southern Baptists in that particular state. And my brothers and sisters were very active in the Baptist Student Union at the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville, uh, the Ray home of the Razorbacks, uh, <laughs> University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, Arkansas, Ebony College when, before the uh, merger took place. Um, and again, so and then we went to Camp Perrin in Arkansas in the summertime as 12, 14, 15-year-old kids. That was Southern Baptist sponsored. So I don't have this negative attitude about Southern Baptist or uh, understanding of their race, racial and racist history, because I'm seeing a lot of uh, positive interaction uh, the first 18 to 20 years of my life that left me with a very favorable uh, impression. Re- occasionally, you might hear somebody mention uh, the slavery, missionary roots, but it was even done just stated as a matter of fact in passing. It was never kind of stated as a means of a way of trying to discredit uh, Southern Baptists. Then I went to a Southern Baptist college in uh, Arkadelphia, Arkansas, affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention through the State Convention of Arkansas, Washita Baptist University. I guess Cliff Harris used to be a safety for the Dallas Cowboys is maybe our biggest claim to fame. <laughs> singing group uh, the last 10 years came out of that college too. I had that, not the Dixie Chicks, uh, the Grace. I can't remember the name of a singing group, but most <laughs> of those uh, kids attended Washita Baptist University. Um, and I primarily, uh, again, it strengthened this positive outlook and uh, disposition relationship uh, that I'd seen uh, with Black Baptists in the state of Arkansas and Southern Baptists. I got some some scholarship funding through the Southern Baptist Convention. My first full-time job in ministry, I was a volunteer chaplain at the Tucker Reformatory. I take that back. I wasn't called a chaplain. I was volunteering to help the chaplain uh, just preach, and I led choirs. I could play the piano a little bit, and I love to sing, although I'm not a very good singer, teach Bible <laughs> studies. And one day he asked me after doing that for about six to nine months, he said, if I could get you some funding for, for this, would you be interested in me and my intern? I said, well, sure. He applied for funding through the Southern Baptist State of Arkansas. It was it was granted. And so I, I made $200 a week full time in the summer. I mean, as an nice. 18, 19-year-old college student, that was wonderful. 
Yeah. And I make $62. Every, every weekend, I make $62 for uh, teaching the guys the Bible on Sundays, uh, having a choir rehearsal. And then I minister to them in various other ways, help them write a letter, listen to their tears, uh, connect them with parents. I mean, you, you, as you say, as a, it was kind of like pastoring in a prison. You can imagine that was a crisis <laughs> every time you showed up. And um, <laughs> so, again, I'm, I'm building this very positive uh, disposition and outlook and relationship with Southern Baptists based on all I have uh, stated uh, thus far. And um, I guess it was, um, and, and, and even in planning the church, moving from Arkansas to Texas and planning the church, probably the first 10 to 15 years, they saw the Baptists engaged in this war over uh, biblical inerrancy. Um, but I, I still had a, a, a pretty positive outlook on Southern Baptists. And today I, I maintain membership because I do think when it's all said and done, the good side, the upside outweighs the downside, but we're now kind of headed toward a season where they're, they're taking one step forward and two steps backwards. I'm going to release a blog post on that uh, either later today or tomorrow. Uh, so I, did I answer your question through all that, that rambling? Did I? <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, except for the part about who the music group was from Wachita Baptist. You got everything else. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. But can they you... were sister. Is that a group called the Grace? No, I don't. Graceland, maybe? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, if I was I just... call their name, y'all would know who they are. But they, okay. they, they, they were all girls, but maybe four or five girls. And they're not as popular today as they were 10, 15 years ago. That's fine. Okay. Uh, it's probably the Dixie Chicks. I, I probably wouldn't have heard it. I'm not very good at popular music anyway. Uh, so it sounds like if I could summarize a little bit where you're sitting, you're saying you've seen so much positive from the SBC. You've seen so many things where you would say, when it comes to race relations and the dark past of the SBC, you weren't experiencing a lot of the dark past. You're experiencing a lot of uh, things that you would say, this, we're stronger together, we're interacting. How would you describe uh, the kind of maybe the opponent position, the, the people that are saying, hey, because of the way things are, maybe we need to leave the SBC. Why are people feeling that way right now around race? I'm glad you asked because what I described to you, you know, Apostle Paul said in what, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, when I was a child, I, I spoke as a child. I, my thought patterns were as a child. Uh, I acted as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So I was basically, I'm sorry about my cell phone. Let me get rid of it. You're fine. That's all right. I was describing to you what uh, it looked like as a child during my childhood season, which is always an innocent period in in Southern Baptist life. So that was the rosy picture I was giving to you was kind of how I processed things at the time. But But when I became a man, a man looks at things far differently than the way a child looks at things. And I was mainly on the receiving end of Southern Baptist life the first 40-plus years of my life. But at some point, you not only go to the giving end, uh, we probably received 200000 or, or a little bit more over those first three years in Southern Baptist life, which was wonderful. I think in some ways they told me they funded us 
at a higher rate than a lot of the white churches because they wanted to see what would a black church do if it was properly funded, had the right leadership. I was kind of like a pilot case, and we, by the grace of God, we succeeded. It's all all God. But um, but then you start giving back to the convention substantial sums of money, and you go to meetings, and now all of a sudden you don't no longer look at things like a boy. You begin to look at things like a man, such as We've been integrated for 70 years. Why there's nobody who looks like me or an Asian or a Hispanic who has ever occupied an entity head position where you're responsible for, I don't know, a budget of three to $30 million. Uh, you oversee and manage um, 30 to 300 uh, personnel uh, where you are the chief executive officer of the North American Mission Board, the International Mission Board, uh, the Southern Seminary, Southwestern Seminary. You look around and you go, nobody who looks like you mm-hmm. occupies any uh, the pinnacle seats, if you want to look at it that way, in SBC life. So much so, I was in Nashville at the headquarters one day, and I was just curious, just a matter of curiosity. Again, I'm moving from boyhood to manhood. Mm-hmm. And the, the headquarters building up there, I want to say, is seven floors. They were want to give me an elevator tour of all seven floors just to give me an understanding of how vast and uh, broad and expansive the work was and impressive. You know, hundreds of employees, uh, a downtown impressive facility. Um, but I noticed I was not really seeing African-Americans work there, work there just as a matter of curiosity, not trying to start anything and not trying to be negative, not trying to throw a rock or throw shade. I told him I was curious. I said, I'd like to meet the highest ranking African-American in this building, if, if they had time, whoever that might be. And I had no idea. And so the vice president who was touring me, he paused to think about who might be the highest ranking African-American. He said, it's our head custodian. Ooh, Not wow. that I didn't want to meet the head custodian, I did. Yeah, sure. But I was just blown away wow. that that was the high, highest ranking African American in that building. No vice mm. presidents, no mid level uh, managers. And, and later on, I found out through one of the uh, uh, blacks who worked there in a position not at the top of the chain. He said that that custodian was not even the hair custodian. Oh that hair custodian was a white person. Wow. So again, all of a sudden, you begin to form a different picture of the people who've been telling you about how we love you, we want to include you, we want to empower you. God loves all of us equally. We don't practice discrimination. And you're beginning to see as a man, and the reason that I was there, because I had a theological difference, <clears throat> uh, not outside of the Baptist faith and message, I believe in the Baptist faith and message, but they had allowed Texas to start the Southern Baptist of Texas convention because they had a different emphasis on biblical inerrancy. And they thought that was something that was to be a litmus test in ways that the Baptist general convention of Texas, they believe in the thought that scripture, many in the Baptist general convention, believe in inerrancy as scripture was said, but many think it's okay to say, I believe the Bible is true and trustworthy I believe in the authority of Scripture, the infallibility of Scripture. No, unless you said inerrancy with some Southern Baptist word, which is not in the Bible, by the way, and it refers to the original manuscripts that we all believe uh, that were without error, although we've never seen them. 
so they allowed they allowed the Southern Baptist Texas Convention to form. Well, I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit as listed in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, 1 Corinthians 12, every last one of them. I don't, I believe until Jesus come back, those gifts under the Spirit of God and based on the rules and that God gives in the Bible are to be in existence. Many Southern Baptists don't believe that. So I thought if they could start a convention based on this driven by biblical inerrancy, um, maybe they will. I had a lot of people wanted me to start. We wanted to be Baptists. We are Baptists. We believe in the Baptist faith of Mexico, but a, a, a group of Baptists who affirm all the gifts of the Spirit. They told me, no, I couldn't do it. White folk ask, could they do it? The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Black man asks, can he do exactly what you allow white folk to do? The answer is no. So I'm already mm-hmm. up there dealing with an issue where I feel like you're practicing discrimination based on right. Again, now I'm moving from that childhood phase I told you about yeah. to the yeah. phase. And things look a whole lot different when you look through a man's eyes yeah. about a lot of stuff than when you're looking mm-hmm. through the eyes of a child. And, uh, and again, so that was that same trip where I also asked about, showed me the highest ranking black officer and I found out it was the head custodian. So, Man, I could go on and on. Since that time, I in the mid nineties, there was a cemetery in Georgia, an interracial couple. But they, they, that kid died. They would not let the kid be buried there because they had a policy: can't bury, put a bury a black kid. Wow. That was a, a a white missionary couple in Africa. They adopted a black kid, but once the church found out they had a the African Native African black kid, they would not let. The, they canceled their speaking engagement. Wow. At Sanford University at one time, they sent out preachers as a part of the preaching program. But if you were a black preacher, if the church discovered that, you were not allowed to speak in a uh, black church. I could go on and on about acts of uh, racism and discrimination that uh, a lot of blacks have witnessed, experienced. I mean, from vacation Bible school, pastor get fired because he invited blacks to vacation Bible school, church in North Carolina, wanted the pastor, wanted to baptize some Africans in the church. I'm, I'm not talking about 100 years ago. I'm talking about all this stuff happened 20 to 25 years ago. Even the Baptist General Convention of Texas, again, as a man, I'm on the missions funding committee. And we were giving out loans and interest rates for certain churches were 6%. Other churches, 0%. Honestly, I'm just sitting, I, you know, when you join a, you know, you're invited to be on a board, a committee, you just sort of pass, rubber stamp, whatever they say. But it was confusing to me as to why some, who, who got the 6% loans and who got the 0% loan. I honestly hadn't picked up the, pa- I can tell. I was just curious because I voted for all of it, but <laughs> I just simply asked them to explain to me. And when they finally answered the question, I was floored. It said a white church is get the zero percent loan. The mm. black and Hispanic church get the six percent loan. Mm. Wow. I said that dumbfounded. I said, "Well, would you explain that?" Well, the, the 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 guy where the funding comes from, those were his stipulations. Wow. What? Wow. What was? I mean, we, we're talking about in the nineties. Wow. And so mm. I could just show you a pattern and string of of, of acts of racism. They don't have all white into their heads because blacks, qualified blacks and Hispanics have not applied. And right. Asians. Matter of fact, a Hispanic guy told me that was one job where 
speaking, being bilingual was part of the job description. It was uh, uh, reaching out to Hispanic persons. But a, a non-Spanish speaking white guy got the job. And this Hispanic guy had a PhD, I think, from Southwest Seminary, spoke perfectly good Spanish and English. But at the end of the day, he doesn't get the job. That goes on in SBC life. Pretty cons- They had five entity heads recently open. People I know, people highly qualified, apply for all of those jobs, persons of color. None of them get them. So again, I'm, when you stop and go to look at this, this stuff as a man, and I think you're going to get to this question, but the bottom line, this whole CRT fight, I don't know a whole lot about CRT. I think most people don't. Yeah. But I do know at the centerpiece of critical race theory it has something to do with racism is systemic and it's still an issue in America. The repercussions, the residue of what was left over from the Jim Crow days, it, it has a residual effect on today. Well, the Southern Baptist Convention all of a sudden are going to tell us, no, there is no racism is a myth. It's not systemic. It 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 is it, essentially uh, it shouldn't be not it should not be recognized today. We talk about one step forward and two steps back. That's got mm. black in the Southern Baptist Convention reeling right now. Mm. It feels icky belonging to a convention that basically denies the reality of systemic racism. So, yes, you heard me talk about how I formed this positive image, mm-hmm. but over a period of years as a man, I have witnessed so much, it's, it's got us rethinking this whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Pastor McKissick, you know, I've kind of watched from the sidelines and seen you be a major voice in the SBC to hold um, leadership accountable um, to what it means for us to speak truth about race, racism, the history of the SBC. What made you start speaking up? You know, I think uh, a lot of people might have responded by just leaving and saying, yeah, I don't want to be a part of this. Um, I don't like what I see, but you've stayed and you've kept pushing. Um, What kind of made you do that? And what makes you continue to do that instead of just going on about your business and taking your church elsewhere? um, Why do you stay? That's a good question. I'm asking often. Um, Washington Post asked me to write articles several years ago. You can Google it, asking that same question. Why do I remain in the Southern Baptist Convention? If you Google my name in Washington Post, it's something about <laughs> why Dwight McKissie remains in the Southern Baptist Convention. You'll pull it up. And so I answered that question very succinctly uh, for them. I think because of that first 20 years or so of positive history I talked about, that was real. Yeah. I can't deny that. Yeah. And it's like your mother, your father, your grandparents, they might develop senility, dementia, Alzheimer at a certain age. I've seen people who wouldn't use one word of profanity when they go through those mental challenges of old age sometimes. Wow, I didn't know grandma would talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the, 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 the convention that birthed you and nurtured you and loved you and educated you and funded you, and blessed you. For years, you discover they got some rotten eggs in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's some dementia and senility. Do you, do you go off and just abandon this mother to change your diapers, taught your ABCs, one, two, three, the Lord's Prayer, introduce you to crisis? Do you, you, do you abandon uh, that parental figure, so to speak? They, they birthed us. They, we were a plant. They were the parents. So in part, I stay because of this sense of 
I feel like I owe it to mm. the people who Cornerstone would not be Cornerstone without wow. the Southern Baptist. I, that's just mm. the truth. Wow. Mm. How mm. do you abandon somebody who? Yeah. I, I went to the hospital four times a couple of years ago at the Mayo Clinic because to get to the bottom of a health issue, I, I had to pay very little because of good insurance with Southern Baptist. Due to health issues, weight issues, nobody else, my, my insurance would be off the roof somewhere else. So you, so you get certain benefits, and people who think I've been bought, well, I tell them, uh, look at the record. The Southern Baptist Convention have received a whole lot more from Cornerstone than we received from them. But again, it's not about... Uh, Money. It's about. It's about need. They are. They are designed to relate to black churches with need. They see mm. black people as a mission project more than mission partners. They're happy as long as they can give to you. Wow. You're on the receiving end. Yeah. They are not designed for black churches who have the ability to bless them, and lead them, and love them, and mm. serve them. And get, they're not ready for that. They're not ready to put you and give you the keys to the engine of one of the entities. They're just really only happy when they see you as some people that need help and they want to be a blessing to you. And that, mm. that's been painful to see that. They can handle the, a, a, a black Southern yeah. Baptist as a boy. They're not prepared for black Southern Baptist. And a lot of people don't realize Fred Lou's a great guy and I cried when he was elected. A really good friend, wonderful position. But what people don't know, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention has zero salary, zero budget, zero travel expense, zero. It's it's an influential position, but largely an honorary position. Mm. You can't even say the, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Steve Gaines, wanted to stop Paige Patterson from speaking a few years ago. He can only ask. He he had no authority. Mm-hmm. to keep Patterson from speaking. Patterson had to finally decide himself, I won't speak. Uh, my, my point is, they never put a black man in that one position that had real authority to this day. Mm-hmm. That's that's a shame. Wow. One thing, just to acknowledge, because I think the point was so important, what you said just sort of was so powerful about the idea that they're okay, the SBC is okay treating black churches are, are dealing with black churches as long as they're on the receiving end. They want to help out. They, they want to help. They want to bless, but they don't want to be influenced by, led by, served by, um, served by African-American churches, black churches. I guess my question is, as I, I'm listening to you and you've fought this battle for so long, I know there are a lot of people right now who are, um, a lot of churches who um, racial reconciliation, racial unity is very important. And they're questioning whether the SBC is actually a home for them or not. I think that's why you're getting a lot of questions from us about do we stay or do we go? And what I'm hearing you say is, and your life is dedicated to the, to or your work so far has been dedicated to staying and trying to make something better. So my question is, what can we do? How do, what do we do? How do we change this? How do we make it better? Um, is it, is it, uh, is it, let's get people in, 
on the right seats, right? Or or is there something more? Very good question. Unfortunately, what I'm hearing, and it may be the emotions of the moment, we out of here. I'm hearing that over and over yeah. and over. And the reality is a lot of blacks who are in, they're in, but they're not in. It's like a marriage where people live on the same roof, but they're not in a healthy, mutual reciprocal uh, relationship. It's sort of a a, a, a transactional um, marriage or arrangement. A lot of growth with black churches, but again, they go, they appear, they they go out to black churches. Here's how we can help you, and here's how we we can bless you. So a lot of the people who are in there are not in there to be a blessing to the convention as much as they are to receive a blessing from the convention. For whatever reason, they are declining in white growth. Most of the growth is coming from the black uh, churches, but I want to ask them the question. You, you know, they like to brag about all the minority growth. Why aren't we seeing, why, why, we're not seeing that in leadership. Mm-hmm. There's a disconnect here. You got all this minority growth and you're so proud of it, but that's because you, you get them in the, with funding. You, we came in with funding, but we didn't stay in that position. Yeah. It's just like at some point you want your 18, 21, 25, 30-year-old kid to go on and get, move to independence. And if and at some point, it'd be nice if that kid, that kid's able to bless and help you if you so if they so choose. Mm-hmm. They're not ready for that. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't know what to do with that. Or or if they let you in a room at a table, they want to put you at a kid's table, mm-hmm. not at that table. That's why the reason. Hey, the reason you got six white presidents is because they refused to hire three qualified black people, number one. And number two, they could make a tone-deaf decision like they made to attack the centerpiece of uh, racism, which is systemic, that they practice themselves. At the, at the moment, regardless of how you feel about the, uh, the president of the United States, people voted in Philadelphia, Detroit, Atlanta, Milwaukee. And now we got the Republicans supported by 80% of Southern Baptists who want to disenfranchise those people's votes. Mm. That is mm-hmm. that's, that's back to the days when when you blacks couldn't vote. Mm-hmm. You, you literally want to take away these people's vote because you can't stand the idea that it was black folk in Atlanta, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Detroit that kept Donald Trump from being president this second time. And all that's been done with good white Christian support. Mm-hmm. That's Those are painful pills to swallow. And uh, so your answer was, was solution-oriented. I think leadership, Acts 13, look at the very first Gentile church, two men from Africa, Simon of Cyrene, I think uh, Lucius, who was also of Cyrene. You had Barnabas of, of uh, he was from, um, uh, what's that, European, I- Cyprus. Cyprus, a European island. We can assume maybe he was European. And Manian, who's believed to have been a Roman. So you got the leadership of the first Gentile congregation, African, uh, Asian, European, and the congregation was made up of Cyrenian and Greek people who worked together to plant that church. They, they became believers. They put, after the, pers- the, the persecution made them spread ab- abroad, they went to Antioch and talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. They formed the church together. 
And because the leadership of the church was multi-ethnic, multiracial, so was the fellowship of the church. SBC has insisted on all white leadership. Mm-hmm. And they, to this day, maintain the, the, all the decision-making, as we just recently saw, in the hands of white men. So, yeah, you got these churches on your roll, but you give them no, you don't empower them. Therefore, they don't give as much money as they, they should give. They don't feel included as they should. I sat in Southern Baptist Convention and counted 10 black people. Wow. They're not even in the room. Wow. But you tell them I'm, all these black folk you got, you're not really in love with them or only as, as recipients of your largesse. Mm-hmm. And they are not really in love with you other than to receive your largesse. So that's the big problem. They got to put black people, Asian and Hispanics, in positions of leadership where they can give back at churches. They got to attract and maintain churches who can give a whole lot more to the convention than they want to receive. That's when we're going to see a change. Yeah. And I've been yeah, I working. Think- I decided I'm going to work and try to make that happen. Not having much success, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's it's, because leadership changes things. Um, like you said, when you have people of color at the helm making decisions, you have different perspectives in the room. Exactly. And you, you know, even of some of the recent things that have happened, you have the voices that are there to help people not step in some holes that they might step in exactly. outside of that. Um, you know, I think I'm going to ask you. Do y'all remember a few years ago when the preachers at the, the preaching department at Southwestern put out a picture of all the preacher professors dressed yeah, like yeah, yeah, with <laughs> on their head, with guns, and yeah. trying to look like gangster rappers. And the purpose of that picture was to attract black urban black students to that school. What? Yeah. And those those guys represent materialism. Uh, you know, they they represent uh, chauvinism, sex, everything that's horrible. Everything we're trying to get our people away from. Mm. And you're going to dress up like gangsters as a way to appeal to black people? What an insult. But mm. as I told them, not one black man make, was a part of that decision-making. Not one black man. Because they would have told them up front, you, you, this, is a, this is not going to work. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh. <laughs> and the same thing, had a black man had been in the room with the president, they said, you can do this if you want, but this is not, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as we um, as we wrap up our time today, I have a question that's kind of on the flip side of the the question you just answered. Um, I think the idea of what it requires um, for us to see change in the SBC, but what's the one word of encouragement you would have for people of color, African-American, Latino, who are like, hey, we want to stay. We want to try to fight. We want to persist in these places. Like, If you had to encourage them, um, what would you say? Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. The other side of that coin is Cornerstone still plant churches. We've chosen not to use their monies to plant churches because I've discovered along with shickles come shackles. I could not be as free to talk as I'm talking if I was taking money from them. I give them money. I, I don't want that money. Uh, but there are people that they do give scholarships to some of my students, and I appreciate that, but I give the seminary a lot of money. But the seminary is really 
been a blessing to students who want to take. There's still, there can be a partnership made in heaven. Hmm. And once you get the leadership becomes more thoroughly interracial, you will see a change. And I'm holding on for that. So I've said, let's hold on until that change comes. Right now, it's hard, it's discouraging, but I believe change. The Southern Baptist Convention, in some ways, a poised to experience the last days outpouring that's talked about. Y'all might have a different exegetical look on this, but when God said, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. All, to me, means all. African, Asian, Anglo, all flesh. And he's talking about one people at one place, one time, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, old men having uh, dreams, um, and the young men visions. Um, I believe that kind of multiracial, spirit-filled, intergenerational, uh, gender inclusion, and God can just use all of us together. I think the Southern Baptist Convention Mm -hmm. is more poised for that to happen, and with good doctrine, more so than any other convention in America on the planet. And it's for that reason, for the, with the hope of revival, where I said, stay that just maybe that what I read about in Acts 2, that God said would happen in the last days, whenever that is. And I believe we're living in the last of the last days. Just maybe God may choose the Southern Baptists ever get this race thing right. He may choose to use them. And I stay for those reasons. And I encourage others to do the same. Okay. That's a powerful word, Pastor McKissick. Yeah. You know, I think it's a a young adult African-American woman who works in a predominantly white space. Um, I live in um, the stead of those who've come before me and you're part of that. And so thank you for the work that you've been doing. Thank you for being persistent. Thank you for being vocal. Thank you for trying to keep the SBC honest um, and to the faith that they claim to hold um, and the faith that unites us. And I think a word about our labor not being in vain, that we strive um, to fight for those um, who will come behind us because it's having the hope that somehow it will all work together and the Lord will bring us to where we need to be, um, but that we all do our piece in the work. One last 30-second word. <laughs> when, the next, when the next 17, 18-year-old Dwight McKissick comes up to the Southern Baptist rank, goes to a Southern Baptist school, and he sees this pretty picture, by the time that same Dwight McKissick turns 50, he'll see an even prettier picture. Mm. He would not see that 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 pretty picture he saw for twenty years become almost a nightmare in some ways. Mm. That the that next and so we could work. We need to stay in to make it better for that next generation. That uh, I love your name and your voice and your mini- Elizabeth Wood. I gotta I gotta remember you. <laughs> <laughs> She's the best. She really is. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm I'm looking for a younger Doug minister over here. I don't know if that's what you do. <laughs> Y'all got me want to recruit. <laughs> But uh, uh, yes, I, I want that to take place. Um, that that person will will have it. He'll find, mm-hmm. or she'll find a much better Southern Baptist Commission than, than I found as a as an adult man, as Amen. opposed to this young bushy, mm-hmm. bright eyed kid. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, thank you for thank that, you, Pastor McKinley, because yeah. um, we live in that hope, and um, that I hope that the next. 17, 18-year-old Dwight McKissick, when he comes of age, will find a better SVC um, for all of us. Thank you for mm-hmm. your time today. It has been a Bless joy, you. You. to an honor to listen to the history 
Um, Mm -hmm. And just again, that we are, have benefited from your work and many others as well. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much, Pastor. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Rourke. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and support our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. Thanks and God bless.